Das ist in Memory of Yechezkel Ben Shmuel. Nani Shafin's brother. And we're going to learn this week's parsha is the end of the book of Genesis. And that is Jacob had his best 17 years of his life in Egypt. He finally, the whole family reunited. Everybody lived in peace. What an achievement. And everybody got along. And everything was perfect. But he's getting sick. The first person that's written in the Bible that got sick is Jacob. The word somebody is sick was never written before in the Bible. According to the Medrash, he was actually the first person who was, very, was sick. He told God that the idea of people sneezing and dying used to be that a person sneezed and he died. That's why we have the tradition to say, um, for your health or to, to gesund or whatever you say it, God bless you and so on. It's because that's how people died. And Jacob said that the idea that people cannot say goodbye to their family before they die and they cannot take care of business if there is a big estate and so on, it's not a good idea. And God told them, okay, we'll start with you. When you give ideas to God, you better be careful. <laughs> And the first one to deal with that will be you. Oh, if it's such a good idea, well, let's give it a try. Then he was the first person to be sick. When Je Joseph, Joseph was the ruler of Egypt. Joseph was not every day by his father. He went to visit him. He was a busy man, very busy man. He was ruling the country. Then he, was, he got a message that his father is sick. Another reason why Joseph was not often by his father's bed, he was afraid that his father will ask him, Joseph, what happened? Nobody ever told Joseph that they sold him. Jacob. That Jacob. They came with the court, and Joseph and Jacob made his own draw his own conclusion. He said, Oh, an animal tore, tore him apart. Nobody ever told jo Jacob, Oh, you know what happened? Who is going to tell him that? Then Joseph was afraid that his father will ask him what happened. And every time he used to come to visit, the mother says, and as, as things got a little too comfortable, Joseph got up, oh, I have to run, I have to run, I have to run. Just like parents, like kids today visit the parents in the, in the nursing homes, they always have to run. They have time for everything else, but not for this. Then... And, and Jacob never initiated the question? He didn't give him a chance. The kids, the brothers told them, he, he, Jacob also understood that something bad happened there. Sure. But, but he, I don't, the brothers, they didn't want to ask because what is the point to ask them? They, they, are, they are the part of their crime. According to some commentaries, he never knew what happened. <coughs> he understood that something, something terrible happened. But what exactly happened and who initiated and what, I, they, he didn't know. Okay, let's start on source number one. Why did the divine spirit depart? The drama behind the blessings. Now it came to pass after these incidents that someone said to Joseph, Behold, your father is ill. So he took his two sons with him, Menashe and Ephraim. Jacob had two sons, Menashe and Ephraim. Go ahead. Joseph. Joseph, Joseph I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, then Israel, Jacob, saw Joseph's sons, and he said, Who are these? Joseph Who are these? <laughs> you never met him? Before? 17 years down there. Who are these? What's going on here? Go ahead. Uh, Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God gave me here. So he said, Now bring them near to me so that I may bless them. Yeah, go ahead. But there's, some, there's something funny in the context. You just said 17 years, right? Yeah, there were 17 years in Egypt. There's something in the text that says he sat him on, the, on, the, on his legs, on his lap. On his laps. He, right? he brought him between so his laps. No, they were adults. He put him like closer to him, okay. between his laps. Like. He didn't literally put him on his laps. Rashi. Then Israel saw Joseph's son. Then the question that Rashi has, what means is he asking, who are they? What's going on here? Then Israel saw Joseph's sons. He attempted to bless them, but the divine <coughs> presence withdrew from him because of Yeravim and Achav, who were destined to be born from Ephraim, and Yehu and his sons, who were destined to be born from Manasseh. Oh, what's going on is like this. Rashi says, he brings on the Medrash, it must be something is wrong here. What did it mean, who are they? Jacob wanted to give them a blessing. Jacob was a holy man. 
You see it from before last week's parsha. He comes to Pharaoh. He gives blessing. He gives Pharaoh blessing. Not blessing. Pharaoh doesn't bless them. He gives them the blessing. He wants to bless his children, and he saw the divine spirit disappeared of him. He lost it. He lost the connection. Sometimes you lose your cell phone connection. Mm. He lost the connection. Then he says, "Who are they? What's what's wrong? What's going on here?" Rashi says the reason why he lost his, his connection because not, Jacob did not know that. In the future will come out from Menashe and from Ephraim, will come out leaders of the Jewish people who will be very evil. Jeroboam and Ahab were two leaders who were the, who were the kings of the ten tribes. You know there is well, ten tribes in Israel. They were the kingdom of Israel at one point after Solomon died was divided into two kingdoms, the kingdom of Ephraim and the kingdom of uh, Judah. The kingdom of Ephraim comes from Ephraim. They were the kings. And it was the 10 tribes, you know, the, you heard the lost 10 tribes. These 10 tribes was the majority of the Jewish people. Jeroboam turned them into idol worshippers. He established two golden calves and two spots of Israel and two centers and everybody went to worship the golden calf. Then the reason why God didn't want them, so to speak, to bless them, to bless Ephraim and Menashe, because the future was bad news. And same thing, Menashe was another king here who came out from Menashe and was also bad news. But Jacob did not know what's going on. Jacob said, what's going on? Why I lost? I wanted to give them an amazing blessing. Suddenly I lost the connection. I lost the prophecy. I lost the... The Holy Spirit. Continue. And he said, who are these? Where did these come from that they are unworthy of a blessing? He said, who are these? What? He said, I know them that are good boys. Then why they are not worthy of a blessing? From where are they coming? He started to think, maybe, maybe in the marriage something is not right. Maybe the parents. There was the, the one story, though, where someone... A, a, I forget who it was. A parent saw that his son was going to have a get married, and, this, and, he the kid, married. and he didn't want him to get married. And the kid was going to be a bad boy, but God said, "You, you have to do. do it anyway." And this is kind of the opposite, right? Yeah, you're talking about Chizkiyahu. All right. Yeah, and he didn't want to get married. Very good, but here he didn't want. He just wanted to give them a blessing. It wasn't a matter to have the children or not to have. He wanted to give them a blessing, and he saw that it doesn't work. So something is not, something stops the blessing. But he was wondering, he tried to fix it. He said, well, he asked, he asked his, uh, his son Joseph. Does it have anything to do with the fact that when he was getting <coughs> a blessing, he kind of... He still got a blessing. He still got it? I don't know. God didn't so stop, huh? So, so often, uh, anytime something goes wrong in life, we, we, we attribute it to because he obviously knew that he is not a problem. He's before his death, he lived to be 147 years. He established the old Jewish people. It's basically the beginning of the Jewish people. If he's the problem, it's when it's something goes back with him. When he has to give a blessing to, men, to his grandchildren and they cannot get the blessing, something is wrong with them. Because it's not like something he's asking for to be healthy and God tells him, no, you don't deserve it. It was something about the grandchildren. And that's why he was wondering, by a, by a holy man, you see, by righteous people, by prophets, it doesn't mean they know everything. They know what God tells them. And whenever God doesn't want them to know something, they don't. Then here he's trying to give a blessing and it just doesn't work. And he wonders why they are not deserving the blessing. What is wrong? He's trying to fix it. He's trying to find what the problem is. He says, God is trying to give me a message. I lost the connection. There is, must be a message there. And I'm trying to figure out what the message is. trying to figure out what the message is. Here, Joseph showed Jacob the document of betrothal and the ketubah. And Joseph prayed for mercy concerning the matter. And the Holy Spirit returned and rested upon Jacob. First of all, he showed them that he had a... A good marriage, a kosher marriage. Then that was not enough. The, the spirit of 
the Holy Spirit did not come to Jacob back to give the blessing to the children. And Joseph prayed to God. God should give Jacob the, pray, the power to, pray, to bless his grandchildren. His children. Why didn't... So Jacob didn't bother praying and saying, but help me fix this. Joseph did. Yeah. Lost the connection. Yeah, it was the connection. connection. You know, there is a saying in the Talmud, that's a good point. They are saying in the Talmud, a prisoner cannot, cannot free himself. No, you have to help somebody else to pull you out of your situation. When you are in the press, you cannot cheer yourself up. Let's get dancing. You need somebody else to come and say, you, get up, pull yourself out of this situation. You need another person to help you. That's why we are married. That's why we're doing many things like this. Because you cannot help ourselves. That's the truth. <laughs> you know it is a reason. <laughs> Finally. How many years you made? Okay, we'll turn to page four. The Rebbe, uh, why not to explain simply? We'll now discuss a question that has been raised by a few people. The Lord states, then Israel Jacob uh, saw Joseph's sons and he said, who are these? Rashi commented on this that Jacob wished to bless them, but the divine presence departed from him. So he asked, who are these? Where did these children come from that they are unworthy of blessing? The question was raised. What compels Russia to set aside the simple meaning, uh, the simple meaning of the verse that Jacob asked, who are these? Because he didn't recognize them. As the verse continues, Israel's eyes had become heavy with age to the extent that he could not see. Jacob could not see. He was very old and sick. Maybe just ask who are they because who are they? Simple. Rashi started to say who are they because they don't deserve it. But maybe it was just a simple conversation. Who are they? And he told them who they are. Okay, the second question. There is an additional difficulty with Rashi's interpretation that compels him to add in his commentary to the following verse new details that aren't mentioned explicitly. The verse stated, Joseph answered his father, they are my sons whom God gave me here. That's the text. These are my sons who God gave me. Rashi comes and says. And Rashi adds that Joseph showed his father marriage, a Russian document and a ketubah, to prove that his children were born in sanctity and were therefore worthy of the blessing. This detail is not attested to in the verses themselves. Then the Rebbe's question is why Rashi is forced to come up with this explanation from the Talmud, from the Midrash, and not taking the verse in the literal sense. You see, Rashi is a commentary to the Bible. Rashi goes always by the simple explanation. What's simple? And if you, and if the simple explanation is, is not, if you cannot understand the text in a simple way, then he comes and gives another explanation. So that's a, that's a very normal, if I would know any from Rashi, I would read, Jacob was old, he asked who are they, he told them they are my two sons, and he gave him a blessing. Good job, what, what's, what, 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 why are you getting upset about it? Why are you getting all worked up about it? He asked who they are, they don't deserve a blessing, his spirit, his God, spiritual, his spirit disappeared from them, and he had to prove, he proved who they are. Why? What's wrong with the verse as it is? That's a question. Okay, please. There is other commentaries to the Bible. They learn it in a more simple way. They say, you know what? He just was a, he had a very hard, way, hard time to see. He had cataracts. I don't know what he had. And, and at that time, there were no surgeries. And he, he saw faces. He, he didn't see, couldn't see clear that he asked, who are they? Go ahead. Okay, the Rebbe says you cannot learn this in the, in the, the way they explain it. it. Just Jacob couldn't see who they are. Who is coming with Joseph for a blessing before he dies? Strangers. He knows he has two sons, right? 
He saw two other young people. He saw two other people there. Who are they? Oh, they are my second cousins. What do you mean, who are they? <laughs> he comes to say goodbye to his father before he dies. He wants a blessing. Well, what's the question? Then to say that they just, in a simple way, he just couldn't see clearly who they are, and he asked, who are they? It's strange. Especially they were speaking, right? They said something. He recognized the voices. It's hard to say that they didn't know. Will we, will we see that it cannot be this explanation? Continue. Right? We already learned in the Torah the story that I, Jacob came to Isaac to get a blessing. And Isaac said, I want to bless my children before they die. And when Isaac came to Jacob, when Jacob came to Isaac, Isaac gave him a hug and a kiss. And before that, he says, I recognize the voice of Jacob, but uh, it's a voice of Jacob. He knew I do, it's Jacob from his voice. And he hugged them and he kissed them. Then Isaac was also old. Isaac, it's written, was blind, not just they had a hard time to see. And he right away recognized his son's voice. Then to say that he didn't recognize his two, the two grandchildren who were so close to him, and in a little way, he just couldn't recognize him, doesn't make sense. But if he didn't know them and he did not know their voices, I mean. He knew them. We see in other places in Talmud that Ephraim was a student by Jacob. And to say that he was, he was living 17 years in, 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 by, in Egypt, and Joseph was his favorite child, that Joseph's children who never saw the grandfather before, did not spend time with him, is ridiculous. For sure they spent time with him. That must be, when he's asking who are they, is a deeper question. It wasn't like, uh, who are you? What's your name? Yes, people came to the Rebbe, just told the story. He tells the, uh, the Rebbe asked him, what are you busy with? He says, I'm doing this. He says, Rebbe says, I'm not asking you what you're busy with. Uh, what are you doing for the Jewish people? So during those other, <coughs> during their growing up for the 17 years or whatever, is it, is it, Jacob wasn't able to tell that he was going to have grandchildren from them that were going to be terrible? He didn't know it then? No, no. Prophecy, because you don't. Came at that time. Prophecy, no, even then he did not know. Jacob did not know he is going to have bad grandchildren. Drashi tells us that the future, we see in the future what happened. That's the reason why his spirit disappeared. But that doesn't mean Jacob did not know, never knew about that. No. Okay. It's a, and, a, and a, it doesn't mean that you know what the future is. That's why I want to say, I said it before, a prophet or a person who has the Holy Spirit, he knows the future. He only knows what God tells him. He does know one inch more. It does know, it's not like, oh, we made a contract, I'll give you all the information, all the uh, classified information. You only know what God wants you to know. And for example, the Talmud says that when J Joseph was sold, Isaac, his father, knew that Joseph is alive. By prophecy. But he says, if God doesn't tell Jacob, who am I to interfere? That's what the Talmud says. Isaac was still alive, and he saw his sons breaking his heart and driving himself crazy. He says, I, he knew that he's alive. He had this feeling that he's alive. He said, but why God doesn't tell him? I don't want to interfere. No, and one of the things of a tzaddik is, then he, if he knows information, he doesn't share it with anybody. Let's say he sees somebody that, God forbid, is going to die. He doesn't tell him, oh, you know, Bochel. Your days are a few, uh, are, are, uh, you have very few days. He doesn't tell them that. Because that's not his job. He's, you know, it's written about Moses, that Moses was a trustworthy person in God, by God. He was in my house, I, I trusted him the most. What means Moses was the trusted person? God trusted him with his money. God trusted him with his information. And if he tells them something, he doesn't run around later. He doesn't go the next day to the friend. He tells him, you know what happened yesterday? You know what they did? You know what they, what they heard? The information. He can trust them. Then that was, there's a story about the Maggid of Mezrich that one of his students came and he told him goodbye. He says, I'm going home. He said, okay, go home. Give him a blessing. Then he says, the other students go and make sure he doesn't go home. He stays here. They come, they tell him, no, we want you to stay here. We want you to stay 
He says, no, but the Rebbe gave me a blessing to go. No, no, you don't understand. You should stay here. But he told them, don't tell them that I said he should stay here. They fought with him, they fought with him. He says, you know what, I'll go again to the Rebbe, ask him if I should go. He goes in, Rebbe, can I go home? He says, go. You know? He goes again, don't let him go home. It was, the fight went on a few times. Eventually, he was stubborn enough to go home. He went home, and a short time later, he passed away. And this Rebbe felt that as long as he stays here, he will live. He go. That's why he tried to, he tried to keep him here. Understand there are stories like this, many, many stories like this. But you couldn't tell them, you know, stay here because A, B, and C. Then here Jacob knew his spirit disappeared. He didn't know why. He says, What's well, something is wrong? But he didn't know, he didn't know why. But he knew for sure who they are. Therefore, And before that, before he gave him the blessing, it, Jacob told Joseph, you know, your two sons that were born to you in the land of Egypt, Menashe and Ephraim, will be to me like Reuven and Shimon. Jacob, Jacob said to him right before that, a few lines before that, he tells them, he gave Joseph's children a status that no other of the grandchildren got. You know, there is officially 12 tribes because there is 12 sons. But the truth is there is 13 tribes. Jo Jacob took, told Joseph, you will not be considered a tribe. You two sons will be two tribes. He gave him a double portion. Then really, the Jewish people has 13 tribes. Why we say 12 tribes? Because the Levites are always a separate tribe. Then it's the 12 tribes and the Levite. But in essence, we have 13 tribes. I mean, not much is left from it today. Today, we don't even know which tribes. You know that we are... We are, whoever survived is from the tribe of Judah and, and, and Benjamin and a little bit of the Levites. But in essence, we had 12 tribes and he gave 13 tribes and he gave the two tribes the double portion to Joseph's children. Joseph's got from him a special treatment that nobody else got. Then if he makes from him Nash and Ephraim his children, his two tribes, he obviously met him before, right? If not, he wouldn't do it. Why? Why, why he made from him tribes? Because when he came to Egypt, when he heard that Joseph is alive, he was happy, but he didn't know what he was going to commit. How is Joseph going to look like? Is Joseph still an Hebrew, still Jewish? Or is he an idol worshiper? How is his kids look like? He raised them in Egypt. He didn't raise them in, he raised them in Beachwood. He raised them who knows where. And where were you coming from? I forgot already. No. Yeah, where were you living then? Well, I started the university. Yeah, but later. But I didn't, I didn't stay there. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Right. Then, 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 then. Don't worry, I know. We, we know, we know. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the news. When he came to Egypt and he discovered that Joseph was able to raise two Jewish children in the center, the highest at that time, the most developed place in the world was Egypt. The most place that was against God, if you want, was Egypt. And he was able to raise in Egypt two children like Menashe and Ephraim. He says, they will be like my children. He considered them his own children. And therefore he made them into two tribes. He wanted to make a statement, Jacob, by making them into tribes. Like the, like, because he wanted to say, wherever you live, you can raise good Jewish children. Even after recognizing that they were going to... He didn't. He didn't recognize them. He saw them, and he saw that he they were very good boys. Jewish, strong Jewish boys. That he, he said, they'll be like, like my children. I consider them like my own, not like my grandchildren. None, none of the other grandchildren got it. Then for sure, Jacob knew who they are. Go ahead. This is why. Recognize them. 
Rather, he wished to bless them, but the divine presence departed from him. And this caused him to ask, who are these? Meaning, where did these children come from that they are unworthy of a blessing? Jacob knew well that Joseph's sons were on a high spiritual level. He knew this about Ephraim, who Rashi tells us would frequently come to study with him, and also Manasseh, who certainly would also come to study. So when Jacob saw the divine presence had left him, he asked in wonder, where did these children come from that they are unworthy of a blessing? Since Jacob knew that they were righteous, he was certain that there was no problem with them personally that made them unworthy of a blessing. He therefore suspected that perhaps there was something lacking in the sanctity of their conception. So he asked, where did these children come from? You see, yeah, what? Oh, oh, very important. In Judaism, the conception is very, very important. That's why when a couple get married, Goes, the bride goes to the mikveh before the wedding because the child that is born after mikveh is a, is, a, is a holier child, a healthier child, and psychologically, spiritually, physically, and everything. Because in Judaism, marriage is a very holy institution. It's not just, oh, I love you, you love me, let's get married. In Judaism, marriage is a mitzvah. Marriage is the most important thing in the Jewish, in Jewish, in the, in, in the Jewish, by the Jewish people. Judaism survives on the Jewish families. Then the union between a husband and a wife is a reflection of the union between God and the Jewish people. And therefore, the way we do the union has an effect on the children. To a point, that the Rebbe said that even when people did not go to the mikveh, when they, before they, they conceived their children, when they go to the mikveh later, it can have an effect, a spiritual effect on the children. If they go once, let's say you're talking people, women who don't have to go to the mikveh on a regular basis, and they go once, they can have an effect on the, on the, on the spiritual well-being of the children. For, retroactively. Then this is, that's why the sanctity of the Jewish, of the, the conception is a very, very important thing. Now, it's not something that you talk about that on a daily basis, Shabbos and Shul, because it's more a private concept. But we, we have a mikveh, we build a mikveh right here next door for this reason. And um, we have constantly young girls before the, before the wedding, they go to the mikveh, and other women go to the mikveh on a regular basis, and so on. And people who are after menopause go once. The point is that, but it's not only the mikveh, it's also the mikveh. There is the ketubah, there is the, the Jewish marriage as a whole. What does this mean? It's, it's, the, it's the, the, the ketubah, and the, as we're going to learn in, in, the, in the next few pages, it's the commitment to the marriage. What's a ketubah says? What's a ketubah created for? A commitment of the husband to his wife. People don't realize that the ketubah is a document that only commits the man to his wife. How much he has to support her, and what will happen if God forbid will be a divorce, how much money he'll have to give, or God forbid if he dies, how she's going to be supported, and so on and on. It's all, she, there is not written in the ketubah one word of commitment to the wife to the husband. Yeah, people don't realize that. Yeah, it's only the men, and therefore people tell me, "Oh, why, why?" I the bride says, "I want to sign the ketubah." I say, "I don't need to. You don't need to sign anything. You're not signing anything. He's signing his life for you." People don't realize how much of the ketubah is a fe the, the earliest feminist document that ever existed, two thousand years old. The rabbis invented the ketubah. In Judaism, you just don't meet somebody in the bar and you and you're going home. It doesn't work like this. She has parents, she, you have made a commitment, what is this? Today's world, live together for five years, then you come to ask the, the father of the bride, would you let him marry me? You better marry her by now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you married for five years. It's, it's really, it's a tragedy, that the truth is. But in Judaism, a marriage must be with preparation in advance, that there is a real commitment there, and only then you marry her. That's what it's all about. Continue. How does divine inspiration work? Oh, how divine inspiration works. Now you're going to know it. Now you become a prophet. Rashi's addition, since Yerabam and Achav would descend from Ephraim, and Yehu and his sons would come from Nash, 
is intended only to explain to the five-year-old student why the divine presence indeed left Jacob. Jacob himself, however, did not see these descendants that would come later. God wouldn't show him this so as, so as not to cause him distress. Because Jacob didn't see these future generations, he was perplexed by the departure of the divine presence and thought there may be a deficiency in his grandsons. This is why he asked, who are these? Where did they come from? It means to say like this, the Rebbe says this, something very interesting. He didn't tell him, Rashi says later, or history, we know that from Ephraim came out these bad guys and from Menashe the other bad guys. But God didn't tell Jacob that the reason why his spirit disappears is because he's, he's going to a very bad grandchildren. What's the point? To make him, why to painful? Why, why to stress him? Why to cause him pain? And that's, by the way, it's a good lesson. You know, many times people want to tell the person who is sick, you know, the doctor says you have cancer, you have this. If he's an old man, well, what's the point? Why, 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 why to tell him this bad news if he, can, he cannot do anything about it? God knew that Jacob cannot do anything about it. And what, why to tell him what the future is for him? You know, it's written that Abraham died five years before the time he's supposed to die. Abraham was supposed to live 180 years. How we know that? Because his son Isaac lived 180 years. Why Abraham died by 175? Because he didn't want, God didn't want him to see that Esau became Bar Mitzvah by the age of, when he became 175, he was 13. That's the first place you see about Bar Mitzvahs. And almost the first place. In any case, he didn't want him to see that he's becoming a bad guy, a gangster. Then he took him away five years earlier. Did you see from this attitude in many other places, God took Methuselah, he took him away before the flood. He shouldn't see the, the, the destruction. God doesn't want to cause people pain for no reason. And that's why, you know, if you know about something, you get a piece of information, you have to ask yourself, why God told me that? Maybe I can do with it something. Because if not, God wouldn't tell me that. Therefore, it's not so, such a good idea to read all the notes, because why do you need to know every bad thing? You know, you know a little less, it's better. But therefore, Jacob asked, they are good boys. I don't see anything in the future bad. Then who will they come? He went back to see who will, are they coming. Must be something in the birth, in the marriage of the parents. Is not, maybe it's not right. In response, continue. In response to this, Joseph said, they are my sons whom God gave me here, which Rashi explains means showed his father a marriage document and the ketubah as proof. In response to this, Joseph said, they are my sons whom God gave me here, which Rashi explains, I guess we have a repeat here. Yeah, yeah, we have a repeat here. Um, Rashi continues, Joseph asked for mercy, and the divine spirit rested on Jacob. And Jacob said, bring them to me, and I will bless them. The reason for the departure. Oh, yeah. Then, okay, continue. The reason for the departure of the divine presence wasn't any flaw in the sanctity of their birth, but due to the future wicked people who would arise from their descendants. It is therefore understood that while Joseph's showing Jacob the marriage document and Ketubah satisfied Jacob's concerns, it didn't address the departure of the divine presence and bring it back. This is why Rashi adds that Joseph asked for mercy and the divine spirit rested on Jacob, and Jacob said, bring him to me and I will bless him. The point is like this. He showed them the document, but still, then is, they come from a very holy marriage. So why the, why the divine presence departed? And God, couldn't, God didn't tell him it's because of the grandchildren. Then Joseph <coughs> wanted his father to bless his children. He prayed to God the divine presence will come back to his father, Jacob, and he will bless him. You know, sometimes you have the connection, you have a revelation, and then it disappears. You wanted to say something, you had a brilliant idea. In the middle of the night, you wake up with a great idea, and then it was like all gone. And, and then it's gone. Then you pray to God, what a great idea. I had such a beautiful idea. Jacob had a power. He, had, he wanted to bless them. He had something amazing to tell them. And then was everything gone. Then Joseph prayed for him. He should get the connection back. Didn't, didn't the same thing happen with his other brothers? He was going to tell them a prophecy. And yes. The same thing happened. Yes, 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 yes. Later in the, in the same parsha, he gathered his 12 sons. And he wanted to tell him the future. He wanted to tell him when Moshiach will come. How oh, is going to look the end of the days? And the spirit disappeared from him and never came back. That he told him other things. He gave him other blessings. He wanted to give them a secret, the ultimate secret. And it disappeared from him. You're right. 
Yes. <coughs> now, what happens here is like this. The Rebbe said that at one talk on this parasha, this Shabbat afternoon, used to have a Fabringen, it's called. And the Rebbe used to speak, teach for thousands of people. And he spoke about this Rashi and he explained it. Over the week, people used to ask questions where Rebbe is teaching. Used to have a special booklet printed over the week with anybody who had a question about the Rebbe's teaching. Or people used to send the Rebbe le letters. And right away, people started to ask, Ktuba, uh, uh, what Ktuba he showed them? Uh, uh, Jacob, um, uh, Joseph saw the showed the Ktuba to, to Jacob. Ktuba is an invention that was in, uh, created by the time of the Talmud. A thousand years, two thousand years, or fifteen hundred years after Joseph was alive, maybe more, maybe two thousand. What kind of ktuba he showed them? What kind of erusin, uh, marriage uh, document? They didn't exist. It was before God gave the Torah. Before God gave the Torah, we did not have the obligation to have a holy marriage, so to speak. People, before God gave the Torah, as you're going to learn soon, you, you, you meet somebody on the bar, in the bar, she agrees, you agrees, let's go. No need for marriage, no need for weddings, no need for anything. God introduced at Mount Sinai the concept of marriage. Then what exactly, what kind of documents Joseph showed Jacob? That was the question. That the Rebbe, then the week later explains it. People came with all different questions that the Rebbe clarified the whole, what he explained the last week. Go ahead, please. Okay, the laws of marriage practiced by the forefathers. The Rebbe, not literal. And the verse Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God gave me Rashi explains that Joseph showed his father the marriage Yerushin document and Ketubah. We should clarify that if the marriage document mentioned here isn't a Kedushin document following the biblical laws of marriage which stipulate that one of the methods of affecting marriage <coughs> is writing on a document you are concentrated, consecrated to me, to me, Mikudeshet, to me. It says like this, we need to understand that the document, that what the Rashi says, that he showed them document, we don't mean the literal document that we are using today, so to speak. There was no Ketubah there, and the Shtar Erosim, to marry somebody with a, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a document did not exist at, Mose, at uh, Jacob's, we did not, it didn't exist. Plus he married her in Egypt, who was going to make Obviously, you're right. He didn't have a rabbi there. No. <laughs> he didn't have a minion. Was no chupa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, he, it was him and her. That's it. You're right. The story of Joseph occurred before the giving of the Torah. When the concept of Ikedushin, consecration as a wife, didn't exist, Rambam describes the state of affairs during the period prior to the giving of the Torah, Torah Amman, a man would meet a woman on the street and they both consented to marry. He would bring her to his house and she would be his wife. Yeah, that was the olden days. That's what I just told you. Before Mount Sinai, you met her. She says yes. You say yes. Good job. Let's go. <laughs> None is marriage. None is anything. In addition, the five-year-old student has never seen a marriage document and Rashi can show him such a document because it has already become a universal Jewish custom to consecrate a marriage both through the transfer of money yeah. or objects that are worth money, not with documents. You see, there is three ways how you can marry a woman. With money, with, let's read, um, Steve, read the next paragraph, then we can explain it better. The source, source two, yeah. This process of acquisition fulfills one of the Torah's positive commandments. The process of acquiring a wife is formalized in one of three ways, through the transfer of money, through the transfer of a formal document, or through marital relations. Although this is the essence of the principle, it has already become universal Jewish custom to consecrate a marriage through the transfer of money or objects of monetary value. Today, everyone marries his wife by a, by a ring, right? Money bought. You give her a ring, and she says yes, basically. That's what it is. Now, then, there is no marriage document that doesn't exist. A ktuba is a 
guarantee paper. It's not a marriage document. You understand what I'm saying? It's what I'm going to do when I marry her. But the, the two by himself is not the marriage document. I, the, every man marries his wife by putting a ring on your finger. That's the marriage. Then after this, we read the Ketubah, we, we sign the Ketubah and we read the Ketubah that shows what I made the commitment to my wife. But the marriage is the giving, is putting the ring on your finger. Does that mean you married when you were engaged? That's why in Chabad, we don't give the, the ring before the, before the chuppah. We give the diamond ring after the chuppah. Be, because, because when you give, the problem is, if you give her the ring, now, it's a, you can say that not only the problem is value, there were not two kosher witnesses, that it's not a marriage. The problem is if you break off the, 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 the engagement, it becomes a problem. Because then, do she need a get? Does she doesn't need a get? Was it a marriage? Was it not a marriage? That's why in Chabad, we, give, we buy the diamond ring a little earlier, but you give it to her after the chupe in the ichud room, in the private room. No, she chooses it, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, if you, she, she wouldn't I see it, she would be, oh, you didn't choose that? Well, let's start it all over again. <laughs> all over again. They're open tomorrow. Actually, we'll open up this, this can of warm right now. Number one thing sold in my business is promising ring. Not What's, engagement. Oh, it's called a promising ring? Promising ring. It's a, something has something to do with the relationship that couples carry these days. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Rather than being, you know, committed, fully committed, semi-committed, they call it a promising ring. See, I didn't know that. You see that my son is getting married. Then he, uh, he sent the, the bride in New York to go up to a place, uh, jewelry uh, store, to choose the, the ring that she wants, oh. the diamond ring. Is he going for me to choose the right <laughs> she, she has to wear it. She has to be happy with it, not me. Then, uh, then uh, you 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 make sure that it's not things don't go out of hand. There is you you give the the way you t you tell the seller this is the range of the of the price. Sh don't show you things that are too expensive or too cheap. And uh, and she chooses within this frame of work. You can choose whatever you want. It's like you tell your children you have freedom. You can go to sleep now or in 10 minutes, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> then, <coughs> but yeah, but you give the ring after that because of this problem. The moment you give money, there is a certain marriage. She agreed to, she says, she says I agree, right? I do, right? This is a problem that I do business when you give something. Then that's... So I, you said that women don't sign the ketubah. You're right. I some, some, some people, some movements in the reform conservative, they sign the Ktuba. But in Orthodox, they don't sign the Ktuba because they don't have to. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, in our tradition, in my Ktuba, I didn't even sign the Ktuba. I just made a commitment. I said I do in front of two witnesses, and the two witnesses signed the Ktuba. Mm -hmm. I didn't even sign the Ktuba. Mm -hmm. But it's written on the Ktuba at the time, making commitment, my name, my, in your name, I'm making commitment and so on. Now in Israel, they have every groom signed the Ktuba. And I made a wedding in the summer. Then the rabbi from, who, had to, who made the, who process the papers called me. He tells the guy, call him, tell him to call me. What happened? Why you didn't make the groom sign the Ktuba? I told him, the Ashkenazi Jews don't sign Ktubas. The, the rabbi, don't, the, the groom don't sign the Ktuba. And I didn't want to tell him the truth, that I didn't think that the, the groom writes enough Ibu to be able to write his, to sign his name. It was a Ibu Ktuba. I didn't want to start to embarrass him. And then you make a mistake. And the Ktuba with a mistake is a bigger problem than without it. Then I, we don't have to, we'll move on. But, uh, but for sure, she doesn't have to. Now it became that if she, she doesn't sign the Ktuba, she gets insulted. Then everybody's equal, right? But you don't have to. It's him, he's making a commitment to you. If the rabbis would be smart enough to explain what a ktuba is, it wouldn't be a problem. Okay, then we know that there was no ktuba like today. Jacob, Joseph did not have and no marriage um, document because we don't use a marriage document. Then what he had, okay, continue the Rebbe. The Rebbe, although our forefathers observed the entire Torah even before it was given, we nevertheless see that they observed marriage laws differently than we do today after the giving of the Torah. 
The student recalls that yeah, there is a Talmudic statement that the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, naturally did the right thing. Now, sometimes you feel this is the wrong thing for me. I don't know why, but I just don't feel comfortable. And later you discover that it's against, against Judaism, against God, or against something. It's not right. The forefathers were so connected to God that naturally they did the right thing. But when it comes to the laws of marriage, clearly they did not follow the rules from after Mount Sinai. Will we see it? In three, in three examples. Go ahead. The student recalls episodes that reflect this from previous Torah portions, such as Jacob marrying two sisters. Right, Jacob married two sisters, Rachel and Leah. <laughs> Today, <laughs> this will not fly. You're not allowed. That's in the Torah. You're not allowed to marry two sisters. Jacob did it. The bottom line, there is a million explanations. The bottom line, he didn't follow the law of marriage before Mount Sinai. The other example. And we'll later learn that Amram married his aunt, Yocheved. Yocheved. Amram, Amram and Yocheved were the parents of, of Moses. Yocheved was Amram's uncle, aunt. You're not allowed to marry your aunt. He married. If, if that's according to the message, yeah, you're allowed to marry your niece. I understand. You're allowed to marry your niece, even today. You're allowed to marry your niece. Really? What's oi? Today you are? Yeah, you are. You, are. Yeah. you know why the Jews are a little off? Because they're all <laughs> married in the family. Then, but uh, not, I don't recommend it for you if you have a niece for your son, uh-huh. but, uh, but uh, it's allowed. Allowed what's when what's practiced is two separate things. Mm. It's allowed. But he married his aunt, and marrying his aunt is not allowed, obviously. Before Mount Sinai, the forefathers did not practice the laws of, of marriage that, that the Torah gave. Continue. The most relevant example is the description of how Laban deceptively gave Leah to, Joseph, to Jacob, and he cohabitated with her with no additional elements to the marriage process. It's written, Jacob married Leah, he just married her. He just slept with her, basically. It's not written there that was any commitments and any chupa and anything like this, any ktuba. Then uh, obviously they did not follow the rules of Mount Sinai. You didn't give any, any gift anything to her? It's not written. Oh, then, then we, therefore, Jacob only protested that Laban Where were you reading? Oh, I didn't finish. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jacob only protested that Laban acted deceitfully. He didn't challenge the validity of the marriage, and the marriage is still enduring in this Torah portion. Yeah, not only this until until today. Okay, continue. You want to continue? It is therefore clear that when Rashi writes that Joseph showed his father a marriage document, this doesn't mean a condition document in the halachic sense a document that creates the bond of marriage. Such a document didn't exist pre-giving of the Torah. Rather, this was a document similar to a document document attesting to a gift or another form of transaction. Such documents are intended to serve as evidence to an event that one person gave another a gift, etc. In our case, the marriage document was a document attesting to a certain preparatory stage before the marriage. What the Rebbe says is, Joseph showed that he didn't just pick her up in the bar. That there was a process. There was a commitment. There was some, site of some type of document, some type of commitment of giving money, of transfer of money is a commitment. It wasn't that, they, that he took marriage very seriously. That's what Joseph showed. The way the Jewish people look at marriage is a commitment. You don't marry only because you're in love. You're in love oh, because the love flies out of the window. And what do, you, what do you do when you are not in love? That's a question. That's what a marriage is all about. Before a marriage, people live together. They don't like each other, they walk away, finished, right? Because it's easy. What's a marriage? A marriage is the commitment that even when things will not be right, you're still committed to the marriage. And that concept was there from Abraham. It's written about Isaac. And Isaac married Rebecca. He bought her home and he married her and he loved her. And the Talmud points out the love came later, so to speak. He married her, he made a commitment, and he grew to love her more and more and more. Think about that. I mentioned that many times. A couple gets married. When you are more in love, now or the day you got married? Hmm? Hmm? 
Now. <laughs> <laughs> you're more in love. Now you mean. We might be more excited when we got married. We were, mu- we, were mu- we, were, we were much more in love now. Right. There's no question. You see your life cannot be without your spouse. The, it's, it cannot even compare it. They think, the young people think that they're in love. They don't really know what love is. They're excited about each other. Love? Love is that you, can, you, you don't see yourself without your partner, without your spouse. Because you're favorite, fiddler on the roof. Right. Oh yeah, do I love you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 very good, yes. You know, actually, fiddler on the roof, as I said many times, yeah. a divine power. This is like, everything there is like unbelievable. So, so the only problem is the story itself, but yeah. So somehow Joseph, <laughs> even though he left as a boy, Either he was either taught that stuff, or he knew he was so connected he knew it. First of all, he grew up, he grew up by Jacob until he was seventeen. He wasn't like a little child, sure you know. By the age of seventeen, you know, whatever you learn in life, you don't by the age of seventeen. But you don't make from your tzaddik by then by, by when you're twenty-seven. People may want to tell my kids too late. If to whatever you want to tell them is when they are five and six and seven and eight. Yeah, the problem is when I meet them sometimes it's a little too late. Shine, what should I do? Okay, the, uh, we'll conti- continue. The, the holy marriage, the Rebbe. Marriage with pre- preparation and sanctity. To explain the function of this document, this marriage document is referred to with the Hebrew word irisim. Irisim refers to a certain stage of the marital relationship that precedes the final stage of nisim. The verse speaks of a person who had irisim with a woman but didn't take her, meaning that a relationship was established through irisim but he did not yet take her. It means he made a commitment, but he didn't marry her yet. The commitment came before the marriage, like engagement before the marriage, but much more than engagement. Used to be, you see, putting the ring on is called Kiddushin. And then the chuppah, the, the seven blessing, and going to the private room, that's the Nisuin, that's actually getting married. In Talmudic times, you put, put the ring on and you married your wife, and you only actually marry, they live together. It was the opposite of today. Today we live together, then we get married. In, Bibli- in Talmudic time, we used to get married, then live together. Also, now if you, you live together for two years, then you get married, then you used to be married together, and then live after two years. Okay, continue. The, <clears throat> the beginner student already learned about the marriage of Isaac and Rebecca which was preceded by, multiple pre- by, preceded by multiple preparatory stages, giving nose rings and bracelets, silver and gold vessels, clothing, etc. And only after all of this, Isaac brought her to his tent, and she became his wife. The stage of the scene. Then we see like the concept of Ktuba. He gave her money. He gave her things. He, he made a commitment. He gave her the rings. He gave her a lot of presents before she actually married him. Then the concept is, he didn't give, he, Joseph did not show, as Rebbe is going to, to explain, he didn't show her a ktuba, he showed that it was a procedure before the wedding, before they lived together. Continue. After the giving of the Torah, Erusin is affected by an active Kedushin. And when the Kedushin is done through a document, there is an Erusin document that creates the Kedushin. Before the giving of the Torah, however, there was, there was no concept of Kedushin, and Erusin was practiced by the forefathers as a righteous practice instead of just the usual meeting of a woman in the street. This erusin served as a preparatory stage before bringing the woman to his home. Yeah, go ahead, continue. The marriage erusin document here refers to a document attesting that there was a certain preparatory stage in the relationship before the man took his wife into his home. Mm-hmm. The what? Go ahead. No. Protection and dignity for the wife. The same applies to the ketubah mentioned by Rashi. This wasn't identical with the ketubah that has existed from Talmudic times due to the current era. Rather, this is similar to something mentioned during the episode of Shechem, imposed upon me a large marriage settlement, which Rashi explains means a ketubah. You remember the story of Shechem? Shechem kidnapped Dina and then wanted to marry her. And he told the family, tell me how much money should I pay for her? Just like a ketubah. How much I'm going to make, what's the commitment? And I'll give you whatever it is. Continue. In this context, ketubah means a financial undertaking 
and a ketuba document is a document attesting that a financial undertaking was made. See, in the Ashkenazi ketubas today, the, the number of the money is a regular number. It's like a, it's a standard number. I think it's like 120,000 check, whatever. It's, it's not very big. The Sephardi Jews, and they start in October. It's a real commitment. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I mentioned it a few times. I, I remember when my uncle got married, I was maybe eight or nine. And my father asked my father to go to pick up the rabbi from the city, it was an important rabbi, to come to officiate the wedding. Somebody is to bring him. And my father took me with him. We went there. The rabbi is not home. Where is the rabbi? He's in another hall performing another wedding, another chuppah. We drove there. We came there. I was in the car. My father comes back with the rabbi. What happened? There, there's not a way, they're, they're still fighting how much money to put in the ketubah. <laughs> the brothers of the bride said that we are not going to the chuppah until the, there is more money. The rabbi was an old rabbi and a little nervous. He got up, he saw my father, he got up, he says, okay, you fin continue fighting. I'm going to do the, the, the chuppah and I'm coming back. <laughs> but I make sure that by the time I'm coming back, you're ready. <laughs> then, till today, it's if you, if you promise, I, have, I read yesterday in the newspaper, a fight about a marriage that she wants here Ktuba in Israel, it's half a million shekel. Because but that's not you can see right there, it's a Swadi Ktuba. It's she and if it's a million a million dollar, she they, that he thinks ten times before he's ready to get divorced. This is to ensure that marriage is a real commitment for him. Then this is what Jake Joseph showed. Continue. Purpose. The purpose, I the think. The purpose of Joseph showing his father a marriage document in a ketubah was to prove to him that his marriage with Aznat wasn't a met-in-the-street scenario. Rather, it had been preceded by a preparatory Rusin stage and accompanied by a monetary commitment of ketubah. The marriage was thus a perfect union, both from Joseph's perspective as well as Aznat's. That's what he showed him. Oh, now we're coming to the spiritual message of all of this. Go ahead. God's dignified relationship with the Jewish people. May our discussion of Jerusalem and Nisuin... You see, God is married to the Jewish people. He's, he's for sure made the Kiddushin. He gave us the ring. That's why, you know, by, by, when we put on film, we put the, the, the strings on the middle finger to represent the ring that God gave us on our finger. We are the wife, the old Jewish people are the wife. God is the husband. Why is God the husband and we are the wife? Why do everybody don't get all worked up about feminism and this? Then let's relax. <laughs> in, a, in a marriage, how you create a child? There is a giver and a receiver. In a relationship with God, God is the giver, we are the receivers. And God married us. The marriage took place at Mount Sinai. And therefore, all the commitment, all the commandment that God said our husband has to do to his wife, God has to do to us. There is a Talmudic statement that whatever God told to the Jewish people to do, he himself is doing. God doesn't ask from us to do something that he himself is not doing. That's a lesson for all of us. You cannot ask for my, child, my children to do something that I'm ready to do it. Or from a friend. That's an old leadership lesson. I want somebody to ask me. A Russian Jew, he came, he told me, he made a breeze, he told me. Then he told me, Rabbi, why he never told me that? Talk about it. Tell them I don't know if I would do it. I couldn't ask you to do it <laughs> as an adult. Then, then you. That, and then if God tells us what the laws of marriage is, practicing it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. May our discussion of Arusin and Nisuin lead us to experience very soon the spiritual concept of marriage, the union between God and the Jewish people. Since this relationship is termed a marriage, God is required to provide all of a man's obligations to his wife, her sustenance her clothing, or her marital relations should not be diminished. The texts of the Tanaim, traditionally written before marriage, state that the couple will not flee nor hide one from another and will dwell together with love and affection, as is the societal norm. The Ketubah states, I will work, honor, feed, and support you in the custom of Jewish men who work, honor, feed, and support their wives faithfully. Faithfully. Go ahead and walk out. <laughs> Certainly, the husband must be very careful not to cause his wife distress because she cries easily. 
And a man must always be careful to respect his wife more than he respects himself. More than he respects himself. He cannot say, if I buy one pill of shusai here, my wife should also buy only one pill of shusai here. He has to respect her and take care of her better than himself. That's what the Jewish law says. How many shoes does that mean? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> where where seen that? I mean, it's How only are like one in a hundred, and the man has more shoes than the wife. Like, usually it's like hundred to one. You know, that's it. You know, many, many years ago, like 30, like 30 years ago, I went to Beachwood. I put up mezuzahs by somebody's house. Go from door from door. Every door was a big job. Then I walk into one room. There are shelves, like, like many, many shelves of shoes. I know I grew up in Israel, in Bnei Brak. I told them, I told, you know, people sell from home. I told them, your wife sells shoes. <laughs> he, he laughs, he gives me a, a, a sad smile. He says, he tells me she sells shoes, she buys shoes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, you want to finish? All, all of this. All of these obligations uh, also apply to the relationship between God and the Jewish people. Uh, God relates his work to the people of Jacob, his statutes and the laws of the house of Israel, and that which he observes, he instructs the Jewish people to observe. First, he observes, observes it, and then he instructs. And the then he instructs it. First, he observes it, and then he tells it to the Jewish people. Therefore, the primary meaning of this instruction is regarding God's conduct with the Jewish people. Then we know that God will also treat, is treating us this way. He will take care of us. He made a commitment that the Ketuba is like the two tablets. That's the Ketuba from God to the Jewish people, that he made a commitment to the Jewish people. And, and the marriage is at Mount Sinai. And God will take care of all our needs, and we, we have the right to demand it. Thank you very much. Next week, Rabbi.